0: For half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50.
1: Welcome to WJPZ at 50. Hi, I'm John Jack. And one of the cool things about this podcast is I've been able to connect with alumni whose story I don't necessarily know. Maybe you don't necessarily know. We're bringing some back into the fold, and that is true of today's guest, Mitch Ryder from the class of 1979. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks, John. Nice to be here.
1: Really appreciate you reaching out when this thing first came out. I think it was when the trailer first came out with uh, and with Rick Wright. You sent me an email and said you wanted to be on the podcast. So happy to have you. Let's start by uh, giving me a little bit of your personal history, how you ended up at Syracuse and uh, what you did at the radio station.
0: I had some camp friends that went to Syracuse. And back in those days, you didn't really go touring too much on the campuses. And... I really I wanted Johnny Carson's job, mm-hmm. uh, so that brought me to broadcasting and then, of course, Newhouse. I didn't get into Newhouse initially, but after the first semester, took COM 101 with uh, Marshall Matlock, who was incredible, and there I was. So that's <laughs> how I got to Syracuse.
1: So you get to Syracuse, like many of us wanting to be the next big name in show business. Some wanted to be Bob Costas, some wanted to be Johnny Carson, and the list goes on. How did you get involved with the radio station?
0: Well, I was in COM 101 class, and Mike Roberts was in my class. And Mike is, I believe, one of the founding fathers or initial saviors of WJPZ, 1200 AM, Mm -hmm. the rock of Syracuse, of which, by the way, I think I donated my bumper sticker about 20 years ago. I hope it's still in the studios there. And WJPZ was in the basement of Spectrum Sundries, Mm -hmm. uh, which was an old row house house where the Sheraton is now. Right. And we were downstairs and it was pretty, it was a basement. And I think it was a, known as an underground station. We didn't have funds from the student activity fee. We had to sell commercials locally and our signal was terrible and cable was just coming out. I forgot the name of the cable company, but we were on cable and you could hear us everywhere except on the university campus. So we were basically uh, you a know, local Rock top 40 station. And Mike said, Mitch, you should come down. You got a, the great face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> and he pushed me because I was trying to balance schoolwork and everything else and fooling around. And he made a big impact. Mike Roberts is a star who saved WJPZ after the original founding fathers. They were graduating as I was a freshman. That was really great. I started as a DJ and then I became the promo director, selling ads and then eventually the station manager.
1: So what's cool about this is we're filling in a little bit of a gap in the history because we've got the original founding fathers, put the station on the air in 72, graduated in 75. So you were just Mm -hmm. past them in 79 here, the later 70s, still on AM before the move to FM, obviously. Talk to me about if you could paint the picture of what the station was like at that time. Obviously, you're in the Spectrum Records where the Sheridan is now. You're on AM, you know, coming in through the cable stations and everywhere but the campus, all the suburbs. Uh, Rick Wright called it the high rent district of Fayetteville Manlius when uh, yeah. when you're coming through the cable system. Tell me what it was like uh, just, you know, in the building. Sure.
0: But first, you, you know, you mentioned Rick Wright's name and I could only hear him say, are there any serious broadcasters out there? And that's how we would start the lecture. <laughs> did he do it when you were there?
1: He, he did. I was in his. Uh, I was in his radio industry and TV and radio performance classes. Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, he was quite a guy. So downstairs the basement so Spectrum Suntrees was the closest thing we had to a union building. Yeah, we didn't have was Shine yeah. right? As, right that was non-existent. The bookstore was in a metal army barricade facility where the Shine is now, and. The hustle and bustle of a wood floor creaking above our head. You go downstairs, you know, basement steps in an old building. There's like litter and leaves. <laughs> you walk down and two or three rooms. i hard, hard to remember, but the studio, the board, it looked like a cockpit out of a World War II fighter plane. <laughs> there were four pods, you know, two for the turntables, real turntables, because we spin 45s. Right. And one for the mic, and either one or two pots for the. Cart Machines, which played the commercials, Yep. they look like 8-track tapes. If anybody out there knows what an 8-track tape looks like.
1: So I can tell you that I graduated in 2002 and I was there for the retirement of the Cart Machines. Wow. So they were there, they lasted a good uh, two decades after you graduated, so they were still there. Wow. Uh, they might have been original 1975 by the way they were performing, but we, they, we, they were still there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We had to put like a matchbook in it to level the tape so it wouldn't wobble as yep. it played back. And I think I have some of those cards, those little gray and clear cards somewhere in a storage bin. When I find it, I'll bring it up to the station.
1: Oh, we'd love that. We'd
0: absolutely love that. Also, if you stretched your legs out underneath the counter, the desk, you might accidentally take us off air because you would take the plug that was plugged in and kill electricity.
1: (laughs) Very easy to just unplug the radio station in those days.
0: Yeah, I might have been guilty of that a couple of (laughs) times.
1: So you mentioned Mike Roberts, but talk to me about some of the names and faces you remember and the camaraderie that, you know, has existed through 50 years of the radio station. And I'm sure it was true in the late 70s as well. Tell me about some of the people and interactions you had there. This merry little band of, uh, you know, not quite a pirate radio station, but, you know, getting it on the air and and being radio DJs in the late 70s.
0: Yeah, well, Mike Roberts, again, was brilliant in bringing everyone together. And he's in Atlanta now broadcasting there. Mm -hmm. I remember nina fenton she was a dj also and i'm going blank there's a gentleman who was very talented and he was blind he was very impressive i think my show followed him i was midday mitch 12 to 2 and i followed him and I, he always impressed me you know have visually challenged and back in the day you know that wasn't easy sure i don't recall a lot of all staff meetings you know, we were running in and out from class and everything, and you did your part. I think Mike, as the general manager, would have meetings with whoever was there, and he would do it multiple times. There was no Zoom, there was no cell phones, there was no email. Right, right. The only computer I did was, I think, was it Steel Hall on on the quad. Yep. They had those big giant IBM machines with the tapes, churning. <laughs> and in one of my classes, they brought us down there and. The cool thing was that the IBM machine punched out our name in a punch card. Yes. You see all the dots and it spelled out Mitch. And how cool was that? A machine did that. Yeah. But other than that, everything was manual.
1: How did you end up coming into a leadership role at the station from, you know, you were on the air, you're on the air midday, Mitch, noon to two, but how did you sort of climb up and decide to take on a leadership
0: role? I don't think anybody else wanted the job. (laughs) 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 Mike Roberts empowered. Everyone. Mm. He, he was a true leader, I thought. I, I learned a lot from him, correlated into a different career. But he said, you know, Mitch, I want you to do this. You can do this. And I'm like, I, I don't even know what promo, promo? What is that? Promotional? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, pomegranate juice. I mean, what is it? And then uh, there I am peddling, you know, thirty second, 60 second spots of the Acropolis Pizza, which was on Westcott Street, Burnett's Pharmacy, which I think is now the parking lot, not M Street, but what is that? That the varsity is on.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. South Cross. Yep.
0: Yeah. And I did it. And you know, of course you learn. And at the same time I as I was working at, uh, not WSYR, they, the one in North Syracuse. Oh my gosh. It was a beautiful music station. That's elevator music. Yep. Yep. And that, that was the job I got. And I was doing news for them. And He just gave me all this confidence. And then as my years went on, by my junior or senior year, I was a station manager. I think it was junior year, actually. It was great. And then from there, I will say, one of the jobs I got after graduating, I worked at WPIX-TV in New York. Mm -hmm. And when I went to try to get an interview, I went to NBC, CBS. You couldn't even get past the lobby. sure Security, even then. Uh, WPIX, the Daily News building, you could walk right in. No one stopped you. I went up to the receptionist. Receptionist was in one of my TVR classes. No kidding, Elise Dickman, and we chatted. And she let me walk down the hall into the newsroom, wow. and I did this for like five days. I paid my twenty-five dollar toll from New Jersey parking with whatever it was then, and I stood there like a nerd in the newsroom. A whirlwind of activity. All the IBM Selectric typewriters are going. And like on the third or fourth day, the guy who ended up being the executive producer, he says to me, who are you? I said, I don't know, but do you need any help? <laughs> and he goes, do you know how to rip, <laughs> do you know how to rip scripts? I freaking had a little clue what that was from, you know, we, we didn't have copy or machine. You would type out a script on 10-ply carbon paper and it was perforated so you would rip right. the carbon out and distribute it to the talent and the producer and everything. So- That was a no-brainer. I went to college. I figured out how to rip a script. I did that for a couple weeks, and then I got another job. I became a field producer there, and then two entities began. One was called CNN, Mm. and the other one was called INN. INN was owned by the Daily News Corp, which owned WBIX and the Chicago Tribune. So all these jobs opened up, and at the time, I remember this vividly, The producer like, who wants to be the reporter? Who wants to do this? And when it was, who wants to be the satellite coordinator? No one raised their hand. So I raised my hand. What was a satellite coordinator? At the time, there were two satellites, I was told, ComSat 1 and ComSat 2. So we had a red transponder space on it to beam up stories, and I needed to coordinate that. And it was on-the-job training because no one knew how to do it. (laughs) You know, now there's like 40,000. I don't think I'm exaggerating. 40,000 or maybe 14,000 satellites orbiting and everyone has their own, but it was a different time. And that became, that was from my, TVR experience in Syracuse. Boy, did I go off on a tangent.
1: No, I was going to ask you about your career path and where you've been since Syracuse. And I think that's kind of a through line we've seen throughout the podcast is you're in this basement of spectrum trying to, you know, get by on, you know, duct tape and bubble gum. And now you're in this, hey, <laughs> who knows how to do this? Well, nobody knows how this. But you know what? I figured out how to do it at WJPZ. I can probably figure it out now. I got to imagine it served you well as you were starting out your, your career.
0: Yeah, the only thing I had to concentrate on was not, Unplugging WPIX off the air with my foot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Again, things you learn at JPZ. Exactly, exactly. So you go, you become the satellite coordinator. Where does your career take you after that, Mitch?
0: I worked on some films, by ABC After School Specials, production assistant. I worked at a radio station in Poughkeepsie at the same time, and I actually got fired because the movie I was working on had some night scenes in Staten Island. We finished at 4 a.m., and I was going on the air at, I think, 6 a.m. And from Staten Island to Poughkeepsie, you can't make it. Right. And twice I did it. The guy fired me. I said, but I'm working in broadcasting. He didn't give a... Yeah. (laughs) And I worked local cable television news in my hometown in Englewood, New Jersey. When cable came out, and we just did the local, local news that I don't think anybody watched. (laughs) And then I got the job at PIX, where I was for about five years, I could have gone on, but I did take a career path change, sort of. I went into the summer camp business, mm-hmm. which was also a passion of mine. And I've been there for 34 years. I own and direct a uh, Camp Tawanda, which is in Pennsylvania, in Poconos, about two and a half hours south of Syracuse. Okay. And I have my own radio station. I have my own TV show. Yes. podcast, And- everything i learned at newhouse and here at wjpz i apply to my success because you know when you're live ready or not you're on the air right and it's a production so i I have 450 kids and 300 staff that's a lot yeah and ready or not these people show up in june and it's live and i would bet most alums of wjpz are probably not still in broadcasting. Right. I don't know if that's true or not.
1: No, that's absolutely true. Just from, from a cross-section of those I've talked to, absolutely.
0: But what you learn from the experience here, you take with you, uh, as you do with all other experiences. But WJPZ was major impact because I was empowered to take on more responsibility and you gain confidence and wisdom. And I applied that to my career. And then I was lucky to have a camp radio station and a podcast. And I do videos. And all of that is giving me a an edge above my competition. And I've fortunately been very successful. And if you want to watch fridaynightflix.com check it out. That's me. I'm the producer.
1: We'll link it in the show notes. Absolutely.
0: It's WJPZ at 50.
1: Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing but one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century
0: of broadcast excellence.
1: This is WJPZ at 50. So it's a summer camp, but uh, it's obviously a year round job, right?
0: Yes. The kids are there for seven weeks. The staff training is about two or three weeks. And then I have a shoulder season. that We do corporate retreats and private parties and weddings and bar mitzvahs and school groups. That gets me through mid-September. And then the rest of the year, it's getting it together. I come to Syracuse almost every year to recruit staff to work on my media team. Wow, okay. Or other positions at camp. And we have a very strong Syracuse population at camp. And even the campers I influence. Them, you know, I have everything orange, yeah, and a lot of kids end up coming to Syracuse, and I come up with catch a, a good basketball game.
1: Oh, absolutely! Why not? That's a great hook. Yeah, tell me about your passion for the camp. I think that's really fascinating that you've really kind of fallen in love with this whole area.
0: Yeah, it is. I pinch myself that I get to do this, and I feel blessed. And a camp for those of us who have had the privilege of going to summer camp know how unique and special it is. And in today's world, ironically, we're unplugged at camp. Right. Uh, the kids do not have any uh, electronics at camp, and they have to have face-to-face communication with each other. And it's all land and water sports, and arts, drama, arts and crafts, and media. You know, our radio station has gone off the air. We now do podcasts. Uh, you know, kids don't even have radios anymore. <laughs> but we we had an AM station, which was 1,200, which I did on purpose.
1: Wow, okay.
0: Yeah, you know, an illegal bootleg station. It was great. And being able to do my own productions, audio and video productions, and even graphics, it's all from my experience at Syracuse. And I've turned it into an incredible, meaningful career, impacting so many kids and college kids who come work for me. And I would love to host a JPZ reunion at camp, a great weekend in the late summer or September. Oh, wow. You know, the people can bring their families. Uh, we can have campfires, tell these old stories. That would be really awesome. We got to do it before I get too much older. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I love this. We've got the virtual campfire going now with the podcast series, but I love the idea. I think we're going to follow up with that for sure.
0: Yeah, and Johnny, we could do a podcast around the campfire. Oh,
1: I love it. I, I, I have done that. That is really cool. The crackling in the background, make some s'mores, the whole thing.
0: I, that's fantastic. Absolutely trip a little chocolate on the microphone, on the windscreen, Yeah, you know. On the windscreen,
1: not the microphone. We know that from experience. (laughs) Yes, yes. Do you have any stories that stick out to you from just, you know, you look back and say, remember the time when, you know, other than potentially unplugging the radio station with your foot, any funny stories you think back to where you just laugh uh,
0: these years later? Well, I do remember, of course, having to go to the bathroom while you're on the air. Yeah. And we're spinning 45s. So it's a three-minute song, maybe. Yeah. And the bathroom was upstairs in Spectrum Sundries. And I just remember I had to go. Sure. We've all been there. Yeah. And, you know, I'm running. I felt like like George on Seinfeld, butching people out of the way. <laughs> and, yeah, I got to go. Sorry, I'm on the air. I got to go. I got to go. And I come back and the needle is, you know, spinning with the crackling noise. Ah. Oh. And then I said something goofy, I'm sure. I hit the wrong cart. You know, I think I did it the Emergency broadcast system card by mistake or something because
1: <laughs> you're flustered at that point, right?
0: Yeah, right. And of course, Spike Roberts, you know, is listening. And he's like, what is going on down there? When well, you got to go, you got to go, Mike. <laughs> so that really stands out. And of course, unplugging the, the station off the air.
1: One of the through lines of the podcast series and talking to alumni from again, it's crazy to say it, but six different decades is wow, just how similar these stories are. The, the location of the station may change, the, you know, equipment might change, the, you know, names of the people may change, but there's something at its core, at its essence, the JPZ people, in, deep down, I feel like we're just all the same in so many ways, no matter what time we were there. So it's been really great talking to you today, Mitch.
0: Yeah, thank you. It's great. And I'll say that is really significant because, you know, the other alternative was WAER, right? which at least in my day, that was you know that was the school station, mm-hmm. and that one that was prominent and all the fanfare if you were on that. And we we were in the trenches, making it happen, and that attracted a certain type of individual.
1: I hope I don't repeat myself too many times. In the podcast I don't think I've mentioned this yet in the podcast, but we've had so many people say you know talk about W A E R. When I got there in the fall of 98, it would have been, like everybody, I wanted to be the next, you know, Bob Costas, Mike Tirico, sportscaster. So I applied and I got into WAER. And at the same time, I was kind of, you know, messing around. Some friends of mine were JPZ, so I was DJing that as well. I know you're a New Yorker. I grew up in Boston. So rivalry there, a big sports fan. But before I was even on the air at WAER, I was the chief announcer and in charge of all the DJs at JPZ. (laughs) Those are my people. I felt homesick when I was at the first month or two at Syracuse until I discovered the radio station. And, you know, 75% of the people I still talk to from Syracuse are JPZ people. Several of my groomsmen were JPZ people. I eventually bowed out of AER because I didn't want sports to be work. I like watching sports as a fan. I didn't want to be work. And I was having a blast at jpz and I ended up being on the air as a music dj for 15 years because of it so there's something about the magic of jpz and it's so cool to hear that it started in the 70s and it's gone
0: on through the 2020s it's really great and you eloquently expressed it i think we should all be proud that we had the opportunity to be a part of wjpz and apparently it's going to stay around for a long long time we can only hope so mitch ryder
1: thank you so much for your time today my pleasure great to be here
0: right now.